You're listening to the Teak Nation Podcast, where we strive to educate, inspire, and entertain you with tips and lessons from frauders and friends. Welcome to the Teak Nation Podcast. Was that, was that me? Yeah, that's right. Uh, good. Welcome back, friends. It is time for the Teak Nation podcast. It is Monday, February 22nd. You are likely listening to this on Wednesday, February 24th, or maybe Wednesday or Thursday, February 25th, depending on when you actually go in and, and take the time to listen. At any rate, February is winding down. Uh, we have had a very significant week of weather. Winter has finally arrived here uh, about three weeks shy of the beginning of spring, which is always encouraging. Texas was buried under snow last week. We have some good friends who were, were hit pretty hard by that, but uh, really it's been about three states in America that didn't get absolutely blasted by, uh, by mother nature last week. Donnie, I know that you're a big, big snow guy. So what, you know, what, what goes through your mind when you see eight inches of snow and below freezing wind chills and, just the the winter spirit comes over you so one is people don't know that through the 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 communication tool of the podcast here that that's sarcasm so i hate winter hate it with a passion uh if you do love winter that's okay good for you but i am more of a fan of sunshine and grass and all the great things that you can do in a warm climate Two is, I find it interesting that we're just jumping right into the weather. I mean, this is like we're at uh, happy hour at the MCL, right? Like that's the first thing everybody talks about, or you go to the, you know, you go to the bagel shop or, or sit down for a coffee, right? Everybody, hey, hey, how's the weather? So it's interesting for such a dynamic person it, as, as you are, and, and I try to be at times, that we're just jumping right into, hey, let's talk about the weather. Well, it's the top, it, we're, we're a topical podcast. We try and address the, the ongoing news in America. And yeah. that was your leading news story for the last week was the weather. So you could, I mean, you can make an argument that all of America was like the, the MCL early bird crew, if that's the route we're going down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, there you go. What, what did you, what were you hoping to lead with? What was your, what was, what was your leading news story the last week? Uh, leading news story the last week. Well, Obviously, I'm excited about the fact that some of the COVID numbers are starting to come down. So uh, I know that we've got to ramp up and get these vaccines out a little bit more, but the caseload is starting to come down, which is a, a great thing and only gets me more excited about normalcy and, and our folks able to get out and recruit and folks to be able to have tailgates and homecomings and trainings and leadership events and you know, all the great things that make our fraternity phenomenal. I'm excited to get, get after it again. Yeah, it would be nice if the vaccine rollout and the diminishing of COVID numbers could time up with the snow melting and the weather turning and uh, the world starting to open back up. You know, it's been a it's been a weird winter where the the beginning of winter was pretty mild and now as a, as I mentioned and as many of you know, there's tons of snow on the ground, but if if we can time that up with the the vaccine rollout ramping up where we can all get outdoors and be around each other again and we're getting into March Madness time and we're getting into baseball season opening up and now we can all enjoy one another's company once again that would that would be pretty convenient after uh, a year plus of just absolute inconvenience at every turn 
I got to tell you the one silver lining about the freezing cold temperatures and, and everything that we have endured and other folks have endured. It, it does making it does make wearing the mask actually a pleasant experience because that mask helps to keep keep your face warm in the middle of these sub-zero temperatures. I think I might be pro-mask between November 1 and March 1 for the rest of my life. I mean, there, all it does is just, you know, gives you, gives you an excuse to rock that mask in the winter now of, hey, you know, I learned, learned a lot about infectious diseases during the COVID-19 pandemic, and I'm just playing it safe here. Let me wear my mask in peace. And, you know, I, you, get, you get questioned a little bit, but I think it's become a lot more socially acceptable that that's just a part of your, your winter wardrobe now. Yeah, I think you are going to see, especially you and I are in airports a lot uh, pre-COVID. Uh, Post-COVID, we will be as well. I think you're going to see more and more people in the travel industry that are wearing masks, no matter what time of year, post, post-COVID, just because uh, their ability to contain germs and, and to stay healthy. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And I think one of the, thi- one of the things that people were talking about at the beginning of COVID, which was about 12 months ago, as we sit here uh, at the end of February, was in the long term, this hypersensitivity to germs and hand washing and hand sanitizing and mask wearing should help the future spread of the flu, of other viruses, things of that nature. Obviously, what we've gone through to get to that point has been terrible, and it's been terrible for so many people in, in so many different ways. But um, if, you're, if you're looking for a small silver lining to this whole thing, I think we're all much more aware of our health and our habits. And you know, when we go touch a doorknob, or like you said, traveling through an airport, and Lord knows how many different people we come into contact with on airplanes and touching tray tables and sitting in seats, uh, just the, the awareness of how you can better take care of yourself and, and protect yourself from sickness in the future. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be a big hand sanitizer guy until the day I pass on in the chapter eternal. I tell you that much. It's just very simple. And yes, the amount of hands that we shake and, places where we put our hands in uh, unique public environments all over this country. Got to keep rocking the hand sanitizer. You know, it's uh, one thing that I think we all take for granted is as, as men in this fraternity is that there's a much softer, more peaceful way to, to talk about when somebody passes on, you know, it's hard to, hard at, at times to say the word die or death. And, and as teaks, we get to say passes into the chapter eternal and it's, it just sounds much more pleasant. I, I have nothing to add there. That's Very well stated. That's a quick transition. That's a quick transition to wherever we're going next. Why don't you leave Look, us? I'm going to do this until the day I die. Wow, that's that's harsh. I'm going to do this until the day I pass into the chapter eternal. Oh, well, that, that sounds sweet. so bad. That <laughs> sounds sweet. Uh, another, another topic near and dear to my heart that I wanted to make sure we touched on. Duke is back. So Duke basketball. Uh Took down what, what, what are you back to? What are you? Uh, we're back. Back to what? Are you like within we're three just, of five hundred? We're just back. No, it's not. You just say Duke is back. What does that mean? A record. It's more. It's it's bigger than wins and losses. It's a feeling. It's a it's a it's an atmosphere. Duke's back. Like like you know like saying Tiger's back. Like what's that mean? Like did he win again? Did he finished the top. No, he just, Tiger's back. 
Tiger's not going to be back for a while. No, no, no. no. So there's technically, if Tiger is back, that means that he is either performing well and starting to show that he is going to be dominant again. Well, there you go. Right, but Duke is not doing that. Is oh, Duke yeah, they are. Okay, well, a month from now, the NCAA tournament is going to be in God's country here in beautiful Indiana. It, is Duke going to be here? Duke needs to beat Syracuse tonight, step one. Anytime you have to start explaining, you're losing. Go ahead. Duke needs to avenge at least one of their losses to either North Carolina or Louisville. Mm-hmm. They have four games left. And if they win three of those four games – and win at least one game in the ACC tournament, I predict they will be in the NCAA tournament. And I will probably drive up to Allen Fieldhouse or Mackey Arena or maybe the Farmers Insurance Coliseum at the Indiana State Fairgrounds and watch them probably lose in the first round or, or maybe even in a first four game. But at least, at least they'll be in the tourney. At least they'll be in the dance. Can't win a national title without getting to the dance. That's true. And if they're not there... They will absolutely be a, a number one seed in the NIT. So all hope is not lost. Got to think about it that way too. Um, one other thing that, that we were talking about before we went live here is NBA Top Shot. And uh, that is, that's picking up some steam. For some reason, it's just come onto my radar a lot in the last week. And I, uh, I went in and explored a little bit this weekend, created an account. Don't know if there's any Top Shot fans out there. So uh, if not, waste of breath. But Donnie, you see, you're you're in the camp that this is not going to last. It's not going to stick. It's it's not for real. It's just a fad. You, you know what? I wouldn't say it's not for real. I mean, it, it literally does exist. But uh, there are things such as, and I mentioned to you, Google Glasses. Was, was that the official term? It was so I, bad. I, I don't I, remember. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they were, I don't know. Segways. Yeah, whatever they were, they weren't good. And so this to me is another one of those aspects. There are certain things, if you look right now, the card, quote unquote, card market, right? Whether it's Jordan, uh, there are a number of different cards out there. It is on fire of these physical things you physically can have. So I, I just see that that aspect of these, you get five, a package of five highlights essentially. And you know, you might get, you know, you and I, you know, our one shining moment in the NBA where we threw a pass and got an assist, or you might get, you know, MJ in uh, the finals doing the famous move around in the Lakers where he flips it up over, you know, I That'd be a good one to have. Yeah. Sure. I just don't, it seems odd that you would then take that and trade with it. And some people are going to say, Hey, old man, you're, you're lost here. I just, I just don't see it. That's all. It doesn't mean that it, it can't come to fruition, but I will say of, of, collecting and trading things that doesn't seem like something that's going to catch on yeah i had i had a bit of an epiphany this weekend which caused me to start exploring it in a little more intense fashion because you know you you initially hear like okay people are buying and selling highlights what you're essentially doing is is you own a gif and like you can just go and and watch a gif anywhere or gif or whatever however whatever sound the G. Yeah, how do you do you is it is it gif or gif because i say gif, GIF. i think yeah GIF I think sounds phonetically like it probably butter. is gif but well gif sounds like the peanut butter and then, then, well, yeah. then you're yeah but but g before an i does by the terms of the english language make the j sound the soft g yeah are you a are you a crunchy peanut butter guy or a smooth peanut butter guy cream oh man i was crunchy growing up but i'm, I'm pretty much smooth strictly oh. smooth now all yeah. team crunchy 
Hmm. I've had crunchy peanut butter a long time. We don't buy it here at at the home. You get that extra crunchy GIF, that's next level. Anyway, back to back to anyway, back back to top shot. Um, yeah. so, so my epiphany was this, you can see how, you can see how critical it is to me. I'm ready to move on to peanut butter. So why would, why would I go buy a gift if I could just go watch one? And then I thought, you know what, why would I go buy a trading card when I could just print out a picture of Michael Jordan as a rookie and just hang on to that. And then <laughs> I realized that there is value. Like, That's there's a horrible a metaphor. No, it's not. There's a reason, like, there's a reason that a Michael Jordan, like, I don't even PSA 10, whatever the, the trading card industry term is like, you said that with a smug value. You said that PSA with a smug indifference though. That was good. Well, I think that's what it's called. I don't know. I've I've just heard it before. Um, There's a reason that, that, that has a value of $250,000 and like this flimsy piece of paper that I just went and Google image searched MJ rookie and print it out on my color printer doesn't have value in the same way that I can go watch a gif of, of Zion throwing it down a hundred times. And there's no value to that, but this top, like, if you want to get like, like we just assign value to a piece of paper that is, sure, sure, that sure. is money. Yeah. So, right. So, so that, that's where I was going with this. So this is essentially, they're trying to create an asset, yes, get yes. you excited to want to own said asset. So then you can trade that asset to get money. Yep. Yeah. Which a group of people has agreed that there's value to these things. Right. This is just, this is just a ploy for them to obviously make money. And I'm sure for you to think about getting on the ground floor of something that could make money. I'm always trying to get it on the ground floor and uh, you know, so far hasn't worked out so well. I've, I've missed the elevator. You're typically on about the seventh floor. Yeah. This might, this might be the one I get in on the ground floor and then I accidentally hit the down button on the elevator. I end up in the basement, but uh, no, yeah. I, I will do this. I will do our listeners and audience a favor by going and exploring this a little more. I'm going to try and get my hands on a pack. The next, the next pack drop that, that goes out, I'm going to try. And that's all that I can promise to you all is that I will do my best to explore this top shot deal. And, and you know what, if, if I make $20,000 off a $12 top shot pack, then I will accept your apology. And well, we, we you know this, off. you know this about me. You know this about me. If you're right, I will apologize. I will own it. If I am, if I am wrong, I, let's just, but let's also just explore the possibility that if I'm right, where, what situation does that put you in? I will never ever relent and admit right. okay yeah. that's that's good it's good to know that you're just going to kind of try on this whole you know top shot thing but you will never relent when it comes to uh apologizing so that's, well, that, i mean i, I can't control a good place to be in life i can't control if i get my hands on pack or not if they're sold out by the time that's why i said i'll try i can control whether i admit defeat <laughs> all right seems like we're on the same page all right, moving forward here. Anything else that we need to cover on the uh, on the news and events front? No, let's keep let's keep it moving here. You want to keep moving? Okay, so good good episode coming up. We have Jed Collins coming in later. Jed is uh, he's a former NFL football player. He has partnered with us on Your Money Vehicle, which we have mentioned a few times on this program and mentioned more than a few times on our Artique social media. 
and different platforms. Um, had Jed come in as a part of the RLC this last Saturday. He is our guest here uh, in a, a short while to talk a little bit more about Your Money Vehicle. But also, you know, it's not every day you get a guy on a podcast who played four years with Drew Brees under Sean Payton, who played Division One college football, who uh, spent time at, with with 10 different NFL franchises. So we're excited to talk to Jed and, and just explore his experience a little more and, and pick his brain on some different leadership things and financial things and, and football things. Um, so we'll hit him here in a sec. We also have Zach coming in here shortly as, as he typically does. We're excited to talk to Zach. Uh, before that though, rule of three, uh, we, uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to lighten things up a little bit on the rule of three. I've been exploring some good movies lately. I watched No Country for Old Men for the first time this last weekend, uh, which I'm only about 14 years behind there, but it wasn't available to stream until recently on HBO Max. So you'll have to forgive me, but it got me thinking, uh, got me thinking rule of three. What are your three favorite movies of all time? Frater Aldrich, go. All right, so here's the deal. When it comes to, to movies, I am more in the action camp versus the, the, the deep thought. You got to stay in it, you know, use your brain. That's more of, for me, that's more TV show uh, documentaries. So you think about House of Cards, How to Get Away with Murder, right? Like those kind of shows where you got to stay in for billions, like you got to stay in. And those are, that's where I put my energy there. So as I go into this, people might, you know, this is a guy who's always talking about, leadership and thought and reading books and all this that movies is a whole nother world for me where I just kind of go into entertainment so I got three and the third one is it's a close battle between three and four one always Rocky four got to take down Drago you know I love the rock so Rocky Rocky four number one number two is Die Hard not but it is the number one Christmas movie Die Hard number two and then number three, and it's a good battle, American Gangster just edges out Armageddon. Mm. Armageddon, a great movie that most people don't, don't take full advantage of. Let me tell you what, Armageddon is a great movie. I also love Armageddon. A lot of, a lot of Bruce Willis flair in your, uh, your top four there. In Denzel, you got You got to have Denzel. Denzel, oh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Denzel can be in about any movie. I could be, if we do top ten, like top 10 and pick all Denzel movies. Well, sounds, sounds like maybe we need to do top three TV shows as well. Since, since you touched on that, we'll, we'll tease that for a later episode. Um, okay. So I like you have a very uh, clear top two and then number three, I could have gone about a hundred different directions, but, but I think this is what I said on. So number one is the Godfather. I think the Godfather is the, the greatest movie of all time. It is uh, extremely entertaining. It is, well-made action uh action-packed and and just an a-list group of stars so godfather number one number two gladiator i love gladiator i will stop what i'm doing anytime i see it on television i will pick it up at any point in the movie and i will watch it until completion number three i thought about going comedy because i do love i do love a lot of comedies but i went with my very favorite movie from my very favorite actor, who many of you who know me know is Leonardo DiCaprio. I will go to the ends of the earth to watch anything that- Is, that, is this gonna be Wolf of Wall Street coming in at number no, three? No, it's not Wolf of Wall, that's what I'm saying. This is a little 
little underrated. Catch me, if, considered, you, catch me if you can. Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, I consider Wolf of Wall Street. Catch me if you can. Wolf of Wall Street's great. All Leo movies are great. Catch me if you can is my favorite Leo movie of all time, Leo Tom Hanks. It is not held in the same regard as a lot of his other movies, like The Departed, like Wolf of Wall Street. Um, Departed's good too. Departed's good. Inception, right? Shutter Island. Shutter Island, I hold in the same kind of regard as Catch Me If You Can, where it's a little, it's like an, a tier below the the Leo on the Leo spectrum, but it's just as good as anything else he's ever done. Um, you, but you Catch Me If You Can is my favorite Leo movie, and therefore it has to make my top three list because uh, I love Leo. I love that movie. Tom Hanks is in it. Great. Christopher Walken, great. Amy Adams, Martin Sheen, another all-star cast. Uh, mm. I think that was a Spielberg movie too. If I remember correctly, that's the the lone Spielberg Leo collaboration. But um, I go on for you know I go on for hours about Leo movies. You want to have some fun? See if we can grow some comments in, in, on our social media channels. Uh, what are some horrible, just horrible movies? Because because I know you're a master of this. Like you can really just dish out what's overrated or just putrid. Yeah, I'd have to I'd have to think about it a little bit. But yeah, I think that. If we want to get the conversation going, you know, hit the hit the comments with with just the worst movie you've ever seen. And please, well, I got one. And let's for just the love of God, don't put any of the six movies that we just mentioned. Yeah, yeah. So my wife, who I'm just gonna go on a limb, is probably not gonna listen to this this episode. She likes watching Battleship, and let me tell you what, that is a horrible movie, mm. a horrible movie. And I I tell her that on the regular, it it makes no difference. She likes the. Have you seen Battleship? No, that's got Rihanna in it and mm. um, Brooklyn Decker and wow, just uh, another all-star cast. Right. And so not to, not to disparage the talents of those two, but it is a horrible movie. Oh, I'll t- I'll get I'll give you a really bad one that that my wife likes is uh, The Other Woman with uh, Leslie Mann, Cameron Diaz and Kate Upton, where the, the oh, husband's yeah, like yeah. cheating on one with the other and then yeah. cheating on one with the other not yeah, a good my movie. wife likes that too all the i mean all the chick you know uh here's another one that will get me taken down with possibly some listeners uh family stone my wife loves that every winter you gotta watch family stone for like hmm. six weeks never seen it's it just, it's just oh it's because she loves sex in the city so it's uh what's her jessica sarah jessica, jessica parker. parker yeah and it's got a crew of people in there folks you i mean folks you would know and it's like a lot of these movies, you know, everybody comes home for Christmas and the family's a, you know, a sideshow and people go out drinking and make mistakes and so, sounds like a blast. Yeah. Sounds like a fun time to be a part of, maybe not a fun movie to watch. Yeah, it's it's just it's just too slow and you you know how it's going to end. All right, well give us give us your best and worst movies in the comments here whether it's on Facebook or or Instagram or Twitter or whatever other social media you found this podcast on. We want, we want to hear from you about your favorite movies, your least favorite movies. Uh, just been on a big movie. I've watched, you know, probably, probably 50 new movies during the pandemic. You know, I'll flip one on late at night and I'll take a couple nights and get through movie and then take a couple more nights and get through the next movie. So, uh, what, I've been, what time uh, been, do you go to bed? What time do you normally go to bed? Around 11 usually Oh, between 10 and 11. Yeah we have a, a a special friend of ours in the waiting room you might know him as the growth guy tm uh we know him as as his birth name zachary scott 
We're going to let him in here. And I think, I think Zach has relocated for this episode. I don't want to, I want to It would start to make this segment a lot more interesting if we, where in the world is yep. Zach Scott is actually somewhere other than Tampa or on a cow farm. So when yeah. we came up with the concept for this segment, it was predicated on the fact that Zach would actually be going places. Yes. That's a new background. Every time we see you, Zach, you have a new piece of Tampa Bay Buccaneers Super Bowl attire. So uh, he's got the sweatshirt now, uh, still rocking the hat, looking forward to seeing, you know, what you maybe like a net gator next week. Um, but you, Zach, I believe that you're, you're not in Tampa. Is that correct? Donnie's going to love this, by the way. That is correct. I'm actually in Donnie's maybe favorite city in the entire planet. Um, I'm in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Yeah. So Zach earlier, Swinson was trying to be sarcastic through the, the magical powers of podcasting. And, and that didn't go so well. I feel like you did a little better job there. Philadelphia, if you're listening out there, let's just get a little, let's be a little kinder. Let's be a little better. Like, let's be a little, let's put a little more time and effort into how we can operate versus just the quick hitting, throwing shots at people. Like I, I, I can get in that environment all day long for those who know me, like I can do that. I just don't see the need for it. So there's a time to be aggressive. There's a time to attack. And there's also a time to just be reasonable. And so Philadelphia is definitely an interesting, interesting place. And I understand if you're not from Philly, then you can get the, you know, what out I get it. But uh, second worst driving city I've ever been in, in my life. Just what's number one, Honolulu, Hawaii, driving around Honolulu and Oahu in general is an absolute nightmare because there's a lot of people and it's a pretty small island and there's only like three roads that go through the entire island. So there's not a lot of space to put a lot of traffic in. I mean, just absolute chaos on the roads. So yeah, that is, uh, you know, I've been, I've done the driven through Times Square through Manhattan, driven around Jersey, uh, driven in a lot of cities in America through the course of my time in this job and Honolulu is out. Honolulu was on vacation. Well, you know, you know who the happiest person driving the streets these days is Carson Wentz. He's not driving in Philadelphia anymore. He's driving in Indianapolis, baby. That's true. He took no time to get out of Philly. He couldn't get out of there quick enough. And then we replaced him with Zach. So uh, Zach, what are you doing in, in Philadelphia PA? Are you um, potentially the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles? That's what it is. In I, uh, I, 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 you know, that would actually be pretty fun. I mean, only for a short-lived period until the season started, and then I started getting booed and uh, and stuff getting thrown at me. But um, no, I was actually visiting a, a friend over the weekend, and um, yeah, it, it's I'm actually heading out later tonight. So got just just in time for for a nice little snowstorm to come through, and got to shovel some snow. So shout out to uh, to to everyone that's going through that, and um yeah brought me back to when i was living in indianapolis this time last year and um believe it or not never had to shovel snow in the, the four or so years of uh winter and in, in indy because of apartment living i guess but it's a, it's a learned skill there's a right have way you, and a wrong way to do it have you been wearing your uh tampa bay get up out there in philly because that could get you in some real unique situations out there yeah I, uh, I have, um, but I haven't really needed to be outside and, and around people. So the one time that we, we were out, um, we were actually just around Washington's crossing near the like Jersey border. So not really anybody Philly enough to, I think, do anything um, about it. And 
um, yeah, it's uh, I actually the Bucks and the, and the Eagles play next season in Philly and already already rallied some of the guys and uh, some of the people here to maybe maybe coalesce for that game. We'll see. We'll see who gets who gets stabbed, maybe. And, and whatnot. you're a you're I'd say you're a bold soul. You should probably bring, I don't know, 25 to 75 of your closest friends and let them sit on either side of you. I, yeah. I will say uh, a lot of as a as a road fan. A lot of it depends on how good the team is because I know I know Donnie's been to some Colts games in Pittsburgh where the Steelers have been good and the Colts have been good, and that's a nightmare. Donnie and I uh, actually went to a Colts-Jets game at the Meadowlands a few years ago when the Jets were like 0-12, and, yeah. and it was a very pleasant experience because oh, yeah. uh, the entire uh, – well, about a third of the stadium was full, and all of the Jets fans, I think, were actively rooting against their team so their coach would get fired and they'd get a high draft pick. And, uh, and they were just bathing in the misery of the New York Jets. So it was actually a pretty fun experience. It was a, that was a Monday night game. And they literally, Zach, from the moment we walked in, we're like, hey, welcome. You're going to beat the living tar out of us today. And we're like, uh, yeah, I mean, we should. That's <laughs> we actually you too. The final, I, didn't, I, I didn't know what to do. The final season of Tampa Bay Bucks defense coordinator Todd Bowles' tenure in, in New York. Uh, if you remember the press conference after that game's where he just stood up and said, just got our ass kicked like 25 <laughs> times. And uh, it was, it was good, yeah. good so, stuff. Some people are better at uh, coordinating rather than they are uh, head coaching. So uh, well, yeah, that's a good life lesson. Oh, we could do a whole podcast on this, gents. In life, there are some people that just because they're really good at this level doesn't mean they're going to be good when they go to the next level. So everybody's got to find their speed, and it's okay to be an unbelievable coordinator. Not everybody has to be a head coach. Yeah, it makes me think of Coach Pop, actually, who uh, was, for many that don't know, was a GM for the, uh, for the San Antonio Spurs before stepping in saying, this really isn't that hard, I can do it, and then proceeded to win five NBA championships. So He was right. Zach, the one question that is non-Philly related that I had for you, a lot of our groups, I think, are in the middle of recruitment right now. Their rush week has either started or is getting ready to start. And as we know, there are maybe not as many people in the pool to choose from on a lot of campuses. How can our groups separate themselves, make themselves unique in, in advertising experience in their chapter that puts them at the top of, of potential new members lists instead of just blending in with the other fraternities on campus. How do you navigate a group through that? Yeah, I think one of the easy ways is to one, talk to as many people as you, as you can, right. Um, being visible um, as an organization, being visible as individuals is, is I think critical, whether that's virtually or in person, right. This is stuff that you can be doing, whether you can't even be on campus or whether you're kind of back to normal almost. Um, and referrals, I think are a great way, right? We can talk a little bit about, um, the different ways you can feed names into your pipeline, the DMS and, and stuff like that are huge, right? Following the class of 24 pages, upcoming class of 25 pages that are going to be a post on Instagram, on Facebook, et cetera. Um, I, I think the visibility is, is the really big piece, right? How can you be engaging with as many students as possible, showing them, right? We're not maybe leading with Teak first, but Hey man, uh, welcome to campus. Um, welcome back. Hopefully your winter break wasn't too bad. Hopefully you, 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 the winter storms weren't too bad on you. Um, what did you get into, right? Um, one of the groups that we were um, working with last week, myself and Nick Kimball, um, SLU, um, St. Louis University guys. And obviously part of the Midwest dumping snow and they're out running around getting pizzas and bringing whole pizzas to the guys' dorms. 
Um, and I think that's one way, right, that nobody even expected them to even get the food, let alone an entire pie for themselves. And that's just, I think, one of those examples, right? I've talked a lot about that group, but one example of, of how you can go the extra mile, be a little bit more visible and engage a little bit more, whether it's, again, a simple conversation and asking how somebody is, delivering a whole pizza or coming up with your own unique way. Yeah, Zach, I think, I think we could just we could just ask Al to put, put his microphone down and you and I can just jam out here for an hour or so on recruitment. One piece we have got to do is we have to focus on how we grow that pool, right? Al mentioned it. There's some of these universities and colleges, there's less people in the pool. Okay, well, you can either keep letting the pool be dictated to you or you can go dictate what the pool is. So we've got to go out there and grow people who will actually get into the pool. And I know for some groups that's different, but welcome to, welcome to the evolution of where life is going to be now and possibly moving forward. We've got to sell ourselves and you got to highlight and showcase what you are. I was reading in this book right now, the, the latest book that I'm on is this book called The Four. It's about Amazon, Apple, uh, Google, and uh, Amazon, Apple, Google. Facebook? And, and Facebook, yes. Thank you. And the one big aspect they talk about in there is that images are processed 6,000 times faster than words. So what images are you putting out there on your social media pages? What images are you putting out there? You talk about DMs, right? What are things you're putting out there that show, actually show that you get value out of this experience? Show those memories, show those opportunities. We've got to be better about showcasing those images. And then we can tell the story. But if you're just telling the story and you don't have things people can see, I mean, this is more in salesmanship, but there's a sexiness to this, right? There's a reason why when you watch an Apple ad, what are they showing you? They're showing you the iPhone spinning around. It's got this luxury look to it. They're showing you these crystal clear images that you can take. They're showing water splashing the phone and the phone still functions, right? Like they're selling, there's an appeal to it. And we have so much appeal in what the experience is, but we don't do a good enough job of telling it, selling it. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. We've got to do better at, at, really putting our information out there, right? Talking about the things that we've seen successful, um, talk about the things that we've seen, maybe even some of those uh, missteps, right? And showing people that are getting a little bit vulnerable, but it all comes down to establishing that, that contact point um, and that initial experience. So completely agree. Well, thank you, Zach. Uh, maybe next time I'll just shut up and put my mic down as, as Donnie <laughs> advised. But uh, for now, we do, we do have to keep the program moving along and, and I consider myself to be a vital part of said program. So uh, we appreciate the time. Go grab yourself one more cheesesteak before you, uh, you dip out and uh, maybe send a little bit my way. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again next week. Sounds good. Talk to you all then. I saved that Philly piece for you. I didn't want to spoil it. I knew you would enjoy it. I appreciate that. And I, I hope you didn't take the, the commentary too personal there in terms of being on the sidelines. I take everything personal. Right. I think we learned that from the earlier segment where you mentioned that you're never going to apologize. Very fragile. I'm very ego driven. So those are two, you know, someone like that just doesn't like being told to, to be, you don't take the mic out of that guy's hands. Even if, if he's the worst speaker in the world and doesn't say anything of substance, you got, you got to keep the mic in his hands or else. The great thing is we can take you when we start having person programming again, we can take you and let you come up and speak because, you know, I learned a lot about parenting from Walmart parenting, which is you walk around Walmart and you see the, all the things they're doing. You say, ah, I want to do that. Right. So what would be great is we can have you come up and talk about some of these traits that you love to exhibit. And, and we can have discussions about how we want to try to avoid some of them. 
I think that's a good juxtaposition of how we usually teach. I mean, I guarantee you people, the over under that you were going to get juxtaposition in on this podcast could have got some good odds on that. Well, uh, if I didn't dump all my money into top shot, I would have thrown a few bucks down, but unfortunately that's where we're invested right now. So we heard from Zach time to get to our next friend of the show, Jed Collins. And we welcome in now our good friend, friend of TalkCap Epsilon, Jedediah Collins. Jed, how are we doing today? Oh, brother, it is a, a pretty good day. I We get to enjoy some of the fruits of our labor. And this morning, I got a, a, a testimonial from a student that you get one of those, you get your yes of the day, and you kind of just get some energy to keep rocking. So, so far, it's been a pretty good Monday. Excellent. And Jed, uh, just a, a couple days ago, was a part of the Expectation of Excellence RLC Day. That was your first virtual Teak event. Yeah. What do you think about that? Not much different than this right now, but no, exciting you know, it's, it's amazing how, how normal we are feeling in this day and age so quickly. Um, I, I miss and still feel so foreign at the idea of like walking into a room full of human beings. Um, but the beauty of it is the connectivity for you, 10,000, 100,000 plus members with the click of a button, you're all united. And so I, I really appreciate, you know, the, the silver lining in all of this that one, all of our generations have learned how to use Zoom and uh, are, are finding their way on there a little bit easier. But I, I just, as when we first connected, uh, the idea around who you and the program and the organization is and what you're trying to do, that's something that I vibe with. And I was, uh, I was proud to be a part of uh, what you had going this weekend. And we were, we were happy to have you, no question. Yeah, Jed, uh, curious, for those who maybe they weren't part of the Expectation of Excellence Day, you know, they're tuning into our podcast and this might be the one platform or medium that they engage with. Can you talk about uh, your relationship with TalkAv Epsilon and, and your your money vehicle and why, you know, this relationship has been formed and obviously something to, to highlight and talk about and what you've put in your life's work here now into this program. Absolutely. And this is a partnership I'm extremely excited about because of the mission, Build Better Men. And uh, an aspect of that that is often overlooked in higher education, in our professions, just in life, is this essential tool that kind of streamlines throughout any industry that you're going to go into, and it's the paycheck. It's how you make money. And I think we've done a really good job preparing people to make money. I think we have failed in the idea and the notion of how to make money work for you. And as I was a professional athlete playing the NFL, chased that dream, saw the opportunity before me and realized the, the reality of the situation is the vast majority of professional athletes don't end their careers on that dream cloud nine version of the story. Most end in, a, in kind of a, a saddened, both uh, uh, mentally missing out on the opportunity as well as financially. And what I'm most excited about this with the, the partnership with the Teaks is I get to look at, you know, your men, the, the ones going into the professional world, the ones already in it, and ask them, have you ever thought about that paycheck? Have you done anything to prepare for it? Have you answered some of the questions you're going to be asked after you get it? If not, 
that is the conversation I want to begin. That is what we want to be prepared for. And so not that it's, you know, you're drafted into the NFL, every single occupation, every single profession you're going to go into, you're going to be faced with this, this reality and re, uh, kind of this situation. So where our combination and in, in collaboration began was that like-minded spirit. And I'm just excited again, amongst the, the many skills and tools that you provide to your, your group, that money vehicle is going to be one that addresses uh, uh, an important topic of the day. And for everyone listening, the, the place where you go, teak.org slash your money vehicle, where you can take advantage of Jed's program, something the fraternity has invested in. And Jed has been extremely gracious in putting together a program where every single member, whether you're a collegiate member or whether you're an alumni member, you can go take advantage at no additional cost to you. Fraternity's picking up the tab. Jed's picking up the tab of that program. Take advantage. It's a 10-part program. Can you just quickly, some of the things that you covered during that program, Jed, because someone who, myself, and I'm almost all the way through it. It's amazing all the different topic areas you cover. So if I'm someone listening, what, what are the type of areas I'm going to engage with? And that's, that's what we really set out to do. So I'm a certified financial planner, a CFP. And what that means is I have a holistic understanding of how money works. I will be the first to admit, and that's been a good humbling process to accept. I am not an expert in any one field. Uh, if you ask me, hey, what is the nuances of filing this tax or estate? That's not what, what I do, but having a general knowledge of the different categories of money, that is what I sought out for. When I was, you know, my first, second year in the NFL, I just said, I don't need to be an expert. Just give me the base fundamentals. And so when I looked at it, there were tons, endless books out there about how to beat the stock market and how to do investing right. But there was nothing that walked you through a cash management, nothing that walked you through opening up your first bank partnership, nothing that walks through all of these other questions. And so what we set out to do in Money Vehicles, ask and answer those first 10 questions of a financial journey. And more than that, because again, financial education alone fails. I'm going to repeat that because a lot of people are now just, wait, wait, what did he say? Financial education will fail if it does not become empowerment. And empowerment means you have the confidence to go and act. So each of these chapters has a specific one action item that you're supposed to go and take. There are other actions throughout the course. But if you land on those 10 actions, you're going to be 10 steps into your financial journey. And so chapter one, and I'll run through them very briefly, but we begin with what's most important, the idea of why you care about money, what's changed in the financial industry and setting goals. Chapter two is that eighth wonder of the world, compound interest and the time value of money. Chapter three is how do you begin controlling your paycheck and setting up a cash management system. Chapter four is that first partnership and going and opening up your bank accounts and more importantly, automating those accounts to be most efficient. Chapter five is that first trap most people fall into around credit and credit cards. Chapter six is when we do start introducing to investing. This is not the Reddit platform. This is not Robinhood. You're not going to get the, the quick millionaire tip for the day, but you will begin to understand how this game works and how to make it go for you. Chapter seven is insurance, understanding the base fundamentals of why you need insurance, how you pay for them, and the way we're introduced to it most likely is through your car and auto insurance. Chapter eight is cybersecurity. Hate to break it to you, we are all under attack on a daily basis. There are phishing attacks out there going on. So how do we begin to defend ourselves against those? Chapter nine, 
We do introduce taxes, but good news, we go to an ice cream parlor to understand progressive income taxes and to really understand the difference between gross and net. And then chapter 10 is kind of a summation chapter. We start to talk about accounts, vehicles that you actually put your money into. We address the brokerage account, the 401k, but where we see young professionals having a major advantage is through the Roth account. And you get to watch and go through the course to understand exactly why exactly where to set it up, what to choose as your first investment, all of those facets are going to be addressed. But again, those 10 steps, those 10 actions are the beginning of a financial journey. Well, what I love that you opened before and going in, and thank you so much for going through all 10 chapters there for folks to consider and, and understand the holistic program that's put together is, and I take this from Tony Robbins, confidence grows confidence. That's really you know what you're talking about, right? That confidence and understanding the financial will give you the confidence to then go make those strong financial decisions. And I will tell you organizationally why I love this as well is I want to talk more and more about money. Money is one of those things many times people get, you know, they get tight-lipped or they get nervous about talking about money. But if we don't talk about it, how are we going to be in a better position to understand how we can grow it, how we can obviously foster and take care of the money we do have, right? It's this concept of never wanting to talk about money that I think is only going to weaken our financial stability and strength moving forward. So that's what I love too about bringing you in and this program is to get us culturally in our organization to start talking more and more about money. We're a nonprofit, but obviously resources are critical and they give you options in life, both as an organization, but even our members individually. And, and I love that because twofold, number one, in our cash management system around money buckets, we talk about the compassion choice. What a nonprofit is out to do is make an impact. That compassion choice is going to be essential. And amongst the, the Teak Brotherhood, it is going to be why and how you continue to grow. And what you mentioned about the conversation is really, really vital. The number one thing everybody you ask around money would be, how, what would you like to know or do with money as you have grown? The number one thing everybody's going to say is start earlier. They wanted to not just start using it, but they wanted to start the conversation. It doesn't matter what background or what childhood you had. The vast majority of us did not grow up in a household that discussed money. It was a taboo topic. So, Donnie, I love what you're saying about just starting that conversation. And what Money Vehicles really aimed out to do is begin to change some of that conversation, begin to change what and how we not only see it, the mindset, but then how we approach it with the title, Your Money Vehicle. It's got to be yours. You have to take ownership. But money as a vehicle is that first semantics, that first change in conversation where we get to say money is a verb. Money is something you go control. No different than a hammer, no different than your actual car. It's something that is meant to take you somewhere. The million dollars is not your goal. We've always said a million dollars is the noun of the sentence as our objective. No, no, no. The million dollars represents a lifestyle, represents something else that you want. Money is just that tool, that vehicle that is going to take you there. So starting the conversation is paramount and then changing how we see it, how we adapt to it. And even the little thoughts, the habits, we talk about habits throughout the course, the habits we have around our money are just as important. Jed, I know uh, two things you didn't mention near and dear to this podcast, uh, Dogecoin and uh, eight-way money line college basketball parlays. Are we, is that like a... <laughs> Chapter 11 and 12 situation. That well, you, you don't start out with Dogecoin. You, you got to save the goods for the end or else they won't stick around. I got, so, this is, so it's a vehicle to get to 
dropping dropping it there you go point and then just you know loading up on first basket scores and and all that and what's what's funny alex is i love these questions and i i love i love and hate how people are being introduced to the financial world in the stock market in particular today is there a lot wrong with our currency our current situation our current economy absolutely are we going to evolve and find new forms of, of communicating, transferring money, currency, Bitcoin, Dogecoin, all these things? Yes. What we really need to understand, though, is the trend, the emotional attachment people are having at the moment, whether it's the Reddit articles on GameStop, which I absolutely loved and was a fascinating find. But at the end of the day, the emotional investors, the ones that got caught up in it, lost a lot of money. That's a story that has been told throughout history. And so what, what, I, what I love is that this is now a topic that a lot of 15 to 25-year-olds are talking about. They're discussing this, this idea of what, it will, what is a stock market? What is a short squeeze? How many 17-year-olds knew what a short squeeze was before a month ago? And you look at it and you say, that's a really great conversation to begin. What I hate about it is that they're being introduced to this system in a manipulative manner. How can I game it? How can I tweak it? What is the short-term fix? How do I become a millionaire in the next month? Anything, anyone who is going to guarantee you exponential returns or guarantee you these things is selling snake oil. And this is not the first time they've been doing it. They've been doing it for thousands of years since money was created. So it is an interesting time. And I will be the first to say, in your portfolio, I now am saving. I'm beginning to invest and put money to work for me. If I look at my portfolio and say, I'm comfortable with X amount of risk, where I want to go put it into a, a, a high risk, some would call it a gamble, but a home run type activity, as long as that percentage is satisfactory for my overall plan, I'm okay with that. But it's understanding, and it's the students who I talk to who say, I put $60,000 into one. That is where we got to begin to understand, and the course starts to derive why that is such a short-term solution for a long-term problem, and why if you continue down that path, history has shown us, it is almost, almost impossible to continue to guess right repeatedly. And why I say you got to guess right is because in active trading, in day trading, you guess what's going to go up, you guess when you're supposed to sell it, and then you got to guess on what to get back in. That's three times. And if you do that successfully, you do make money, but now you got to go continue that trend. So it is great topical pieces but it is also still a, how do I get introduced to how all of this is connected? We talk a lot of sports on this podcast and a lot of football. So the metaphor here, uh, boys and girls out there listening is, it's a play in the playbook. It's not the playbook. Excellent. And yeah, obviously I, I love any analogies uh, tied back to sports. I, I can break down uh, how the New Orleans Saints offense, the greatest offense of all time at one point, represents how to diversify your portfolio. So if we want to get sports analogies, I, I am all game. You got you got two Colts fans. Uh, oh, there you you're go. Talking to well, right new now. quarterback, new hope. New well, I just the the best offense of all time that I don't. I, oh, we go back Marvin and Reggie and and Dallas Clark and and Edge. I mean, I mean that's 
I know the Saints had had Jed Collins back in in the backfield <laughs> back there for a little while. I mean, imagine imagine statistically, throw- not points, but by yardage, we got the title. I'm- I can show you the ball; it's right up there. <laughs> what is Jed? I got a question. What What is your favorite NFL story to tell? Oh, that's a great question. I would say it was the moment I truly became a pro. And to, you know, my journey, I got to experience some really neat things. I, and I, the lessons are endless. And, and that's part of what we connect on is this, this idea of leadership and mentality around what we do. But my favorite story happened um, down in New Orleans, where I really started to make my career. Uh, and if anybody's been in the South in the summer, in, you know, beginning of August or end of July, it's about 118 degrees. And we knew it was at least or over 118 degrees because in our locker room on a big dry race board, the coaches would always put it's 118, we're outside. And they did that because in our CBA, if it was 119, we had to bring practice indoors. So they were making it pretty clear. I don't know how the coaches control weather, but it was always 118 degrees on the dot. And as you go out there, everybody's tempers are a little bit shorter. Your shoes are squishy, you know, in warmups. And my first play is called a chip block where I just go run by the defensive end who's engaged with the tackle and I throw my elbow into his ribs and I give him a little something to think about as I scurry off into the flat. Again, I'm a fullback. Nobody's throwing me the ball. So I get to do this and the guy I'm doing it against is a 10 year pro bowl, just ox. He is the, the bad man, pajama of the defense and I go by and I do my job and I scurry off into the flat. And as I come back, jog back to the huddle, our Pro Bowl defense vent comes and grabs me by the face mask and starts to lay a barrage of insults and obscenities to me that you kind of get accustomed to. But what he said that I'll never forget had nothing to do with swearing at me. He said, I don't even know you. I don't know your name. And in that sentence, in that tone, he was sending me a message that as they were going to return to try to win the Super Bowl, he looked at the roster and he didn't even know who I was. He, I wasn't even on the, the list. And as a professional, that, that cuts deeper than any name you can call me. It's just I'm not valuable enough to help the team to go and do our job. And so in that moment, I had a decision. In that moment, I could be a, a young rookie-esque kind of player and, and be cocky and use my, my external voice to yell back at him. Hey, my name is Jed Collins. I, I've talked to you before. I've been here for months. But then I realized confidence is internal. Confidence is that voice in between my ears and in my own head. I could have tried to break the trust of practice, try to fight him and prove my bravado that way. But that would do nothing but disturb and disrupt the coaches and and kind of put me in a different element. And it wouldn't have proved anything. And he probably would have killed me. (laughs) The third part, though, is around what I love about pros. Pros always add value. They always make you learn their name. So I went back to the huddle, telling myself, my confidence voice, I could do this. Building the trust of my team, I knew I had to go and do something. And so the next play was 36 power, which had me and this 10-year pro bowler going head-to-head again. And back in the day, we were instructed differently. The game has changed, changed with the game. But I put the two screws on the front of my forehead into his chest, and I knocked him on the ground. And after that play, I walked up to him. I looked down. He held his hand up to, to help me for me to help him up. And I slapped his hand away and I pointed because at the beginning of training camp, you have a piece of tape on your forehead that has your last name on it. 
and I pointed to that name on my forehead and I got back into the huddle. And I knew without saying a word, that veteran, that pro bowler on the ground was always going to remember my name. I knew that night in film, every coach was going to say, watch Collins on this play. And that was the moment, that exchange, that two-play series was truly the moment I became a pro because I was confident. I had trusted myself and my teammates, and I added value. I made people learn my name. And as any job you walk into, if you look at it and say, I deserve to be here, I have confidence. The team I'm going to work with has to trust who I am going to be on a daily basis. And every day I'm here to add value to either the client, the team, or somebody above me. That is the definition of being a pro. That's awesome. Well, that is, uh, I mean, that's a hell of a story. So uh, thank you. That was a little longer than probably you're expected. Oh, no, no, no. I could have sat and listened the rest of the night. Um, I want to I want to stay on on this topic in a sense because you you know I think that was a little preview into your other the other side of what you do which is the the leadership coaching the change management that side where professional teams and, and college teams and businesses they brought you in to share some of these lessons that you've learned I'm curious you talked about your your kind of welcome to the NFL moment I've arrived at what point did you know okay this is a career path that I could could chase down. You know, you played Division One, obviously Pac-12 college football. You went and you you bounced around the NFL and you you spent a lot of good time with the Saints. But at what point was it that you said, I have the physical gifts, I have the mental ability, right? I can I can make it as an NFL player. And then furthermore, how did you make sure you maximize those? Because for every story mm -hmm. of an NFL player, mm -hmm. right, there's there's 10 guys who were just as talented, who didn't work, who didn't put in the time in the film room, who got in trouble in, in the classroom, who didn't make it. What what allowed you to separate yourself and make sure that that was the path that you could follow? Got in trouble, didn't take care of their classroom, and overall just didn't have the work ethic. We We jokingly and humbly said all the time, the best talent is always sitting at home. The best talent is not in those NFL locker rooms. And that is truly poetically sad. What, what I would say is, you know, my first moment um, that really the NFL even became a, a dream, went from a dream to a goal, was my senior year. And it was riding up an elevator and a, a scout from the San Diego Charters, now the LA Chargers, uh, was going up. And as we got off, he asked me to go to my head coach's office. I said, you know, absolutely, I'll take you over there. Uh, and he said, thanks, Jed. And it, it caught me. And I was like, how does this guy like who? he he just called me by name. And as we walked over to our head coach's office, he explained I was one of the two players he was there to see. He thought I had the skill set and, and the ability to go to the next level. And that was really, again, that confidence piece is massive because I was only a one year starter. I started some games my junior year at tight end, but that's because our starter got hurt and I took advantage of some opportunities. So my senior year was the only year I started. Then I went undrafted and it continued to look at and be a, well, I can play, but I'm never gonna be the premier guy. And that humbling process was, was really, really neat. I, my career died 10 times before it even lived. That's what getting cut a dozen times does is it, it opened my eyes to the reality. Football is great. Football is going to be over here soon. And what I did with that blessing that began as a curse and I got to turn into a blessing was, well, how am I going to use this? What is this platform going to do for me? And how am I going to transition the skills I do have into my next life? 
again, I, I got that first paycheck um, my rookie year and the, the money went in and went out of my account the day I got it. And a lot of people hear that and say, yeah, that's, that's the typical story. Now, my full disclosure is I bought an engagement ring and my wife and I are happily married after, you know, 10 plus years. So it, it was a good investment. I will tell her to her face. That was a very poor financial decision. <laughs> so that's the reality. Young men, don't let your, your fiancés choose their ring. Um, but I look at this and I said, if I knew the, the, the toll football was going to put on my body, physically, mentally, what it was going to take, I started to look at the game of football and ask myself, what am I going to take from it? And I think if we have that perspective on more of our, our, our passions, more of what we're doing, we're not exploiting, we're taking advantage. And so as I looked at it, I never really saw myself as a longtime NFL player. I always saw myself as a guy who was kind of lucky to be out there. And that kept the work ethic. I, we called ourselves pet boys. You know, we did everything for less. And we were the first ones in the building. We were the, the last ones out. We had that hunger and that lunch pail kind of mentality. And that's what kept me around. And then to see kind of this next world begin to evolve, I am one of very few who was fortunate to know which direction I was going to head after I was done playing. That was not by coincidence. That was because each offseason I committed. Each offseason I dedicated time and effort into preparing for what that is next. And it also led me down a path where I got to talk to players. I got to talk to my brothers. I got to talk to people and realized I really like helping people with this topic. This is a, it is a, a tremendously overlooked and void subject in our academic system. I liked the idea of translating. And one thing football in particular teaches you, and I'm sure any sport can say this in a team, is you, you learn the value of relationships. You learn that you got to talk to the star quarterback, and then you got to go talk to the athletic trainer. And then you got to talk to the defensive end. And then you got to talk to the wide receiver. And you, you, your coaches, the scouts, the, the front office, you realize how many relationships go into all of this and you begin to appreciate that message, that idea that we all need help with this one subject and one topic. And with that skill of being able to talk to everybody in the building, that is what I get to do with money today is say, how can I look at the end consumer? How can I look at the person that I'm trying to get to understand this? and not try to make them think that I'm smarter or more intelligent or anything like that. But I can just get them to walk away and say, man, that guy made sense. That's, that's the, the payoff. And, and, you know, that's where my journey and career, you know, started and, and is landing today. Jed, can you talk, and you touched a little bit about it and obviously gave some highlights there around wiping out your bank account as soon as it grew a little bit. But uh, I've been lucky enough to have some friends who are in the banking industry and so in Indianapolis. And so they tell me some of the war stories of athletes, mm. whether they be NBA players or NFL players who you and I might think have a lot of money, but actually they oh, don't yeah. because it's this concept that I'd love for you to talk about, which is it doesn't matter how much money you make. It matters how much money you spend. And also, obviously, if you figure that out, then as you start to accumulate more wealth and you start to make more money, if you know how to handle that, which is the whole point of your program, then that is when you truly become wealthy. But there's this thought process that, oh, this player makes a bunch of money. Of course, he must be rich. And you can probably tell tales of guys who we would think that but actually weren't because you knew what their spending habits were. 
And the the most tragic story I saw in the last month is Adrian Peterson. Guy's made a hundred million plus dollars and is going to have to keep playing to keep making money because he needs it. And one of the designations I make with when I talk to NFL rookies, Amazonians, or or high school you know students, uh, let alone college students, is that designating rich and wealthy. And this is one of those mindsets that rich means I have a lot of money today. Rich means I have a high income. I'm a surgeon. I'm a doctor. I make $750,000 this year. I have a lot of money right now. Wealth is how many tomorrows do I not have to worry about money? If rich is how much do I have today? Wealth is do I have to worry about money in the next year, five years, 10 years, 50 years? And to really see that, that kind of transition of what money is meant to truly do. I think it is, you know, we do, we see these athletes and they've gotten the millions, the, the high income, as well as, and I being in coming from wealth management, I've sat down with the next doctor, lawyer, entrepreneur who hit a home run and has $10 million. And it's just what you said, chapter, you know, chapter one, we introduced the golden rule. Do not spend more than you make and focus on what you keep. And I think if more of us went into college, went into a career, went into a lot of opportunities and looked at what we want on the end, what we want out of this. If I chose my major in my career based off the lifestyle, not based off you know what I think I get, but based off what I want to do with it, it would be a really nice transition. And so as we look at it, I really want people to understand that notion of Whatever lifestyle you want money to provide can be accomplished with your income. You get to choose that. And I'm not one to say, hey, live on, you know, top ramen for the rest of your life. There is a fire club in out there that says, you know, we're going to live on $100 a month and, and I'm going to retire at 32. I believe in freedom. I believe in making my lifestyle match my wealth, match my work, my net worth. And so if we look at it through that lens, you truly begin to see if I handed you $1,000 and you don't know what to do with it, why would $100,000 make any difference? And so we really challenge ourselves. People make fun of athletes all the time. I say, line up 100 teaks. Line up 100 teaks at 22 and give them each a million dollars. After a year, how many of them are going to have something to show for it? And so it's that notion that nobody has been prepared. Nobody knows what to do. Why chapter three, the money bucket system is so great is I give the same system to an 18-year-old about to go be a fireman and get his first paycheck and a 65-year-old getting a distribution from their company. It's the same five choices, the same five percentages that you have to begin to implement. And so it is a big, big idea that some people think, well, if I made $80,000 as opposed to 75, life would be much easier. If you're not using that 75,000, that, that extra little more is not going to make that big of a difference. Jed, I want to, I want to switch gears a little bit as, as we, as we wind down here, um, it is February. It's Black History Month, and and that's something that we talked about a lot in our our last episode. We had Tyler Sally on, um, who's a, a member of Teak, and and shared a lot of really great information. And hopefully, if you haven't listened to that, and you're listening to this, you'll go and take the time to do so. I know I've heard multiple times that a, a professional locker room or a Division One college locker room is one of the most diverse places where everyone's focused on the the same goal: rich, poor, black, white. Uh, 
religious, non-religious, there's, there's all these personalities that, that are all focusing together on, on one outcome, no matter what their background is or what their, their skin color is or their religious beliefs are. What did being in locker rooms in, in high school, college, and in the NFL, what did that teach you about how to interact with people that were different than you and how to, how to work toward commonalities with people who maybe didn't have the same beliefs or the same upbringing as you did, as we think about, again, the, the Black History Month aspect and, you know, as, as teaks, we're always trying to learn and become better men, right? What did you learn in those situations that helped you become a better man? It, it teaches you perspective. And I'll give you a, a short, silly analogy, but this is what I love to do is, is try to give analogies and stories that, that translate a point and a message. Um, so I left my home in Bellevue, Washington in, in, in a foot and a half, two feet of snow, and we flew down to Palm Springs, mainly because we hadn't seen the, the sun in four months. But the idea that as I laid next to the pool in 75 degrees sunshine, it, it would never even strike me that there was snow falling somewhere else, that in, in that moment of life, in another place, there was a drastically different experience and environment going on. And if I am sitting in the sunshine and in the warmth, mentally, why would I think about that phase? And I feel like we've accomplished that in such a, a devastating way in our worlds today. The more connected we are getting, the more we are isolating ourselves from other walks of life. If you don't want to see what is that not, you know, beyond your nose, you can shut, you can shut it. You can shut it out of your life. So being in those locker rooms taught me at a very young and early age about my privilege, about who I was and where I was brought up. I will be the first to say my father is black. So a lot of people look at me and would never expect that. I look just like my mom and it's been a lifelong kind of interesting tale about telling people, no, my family's mixed. You know, I, I understand some, but at that same notion, growing up in Orange County, having my parents be together, looking at the opportunities that were laid out in front of me because my father was the first in his family and in his world to go to college. I stack those up and I say, man, I really did start rounding second. And Growing up in, in you know, football environments, hearing some of the stories about what other men overcame, no different than walking into one of your, your uh, chapters and lining up 10 guys and saying, hey, what is your experience with money, Ben? Or how did you get here? It would be 10 different stories. And what, what, the game, what sports does in a really neat manner is it neutralizes everything. The, the greatest gift a head coach can have, and you know Sean Payton will be the first one to say this, the head coach of the Saints, he's a gym teacher. He teaches a room full of people how to play a game. Now, he makes $14 million. Why does he do that? Is because he can get a room full of guys, as you said, from 100 different backgrounds to prioritize that one thing. And I think that is something that we need to find in our communities and in our society is what is going to be that unifying factor. I think as we challenge our perspective, sitting out in the sunshine and understanding that it is still snowing other places in the world, that other worlds are being impacted, prejudiced, and, and really just torn down for no other reason than we're allowing it to happen. And I think if we continue to look at uh, on a daily basis how the world outside of ours is being handled, being treated, 
You know, if we change our history books to some extent and start to learn about some of the prejudices that have happened that are real, it, it is so condemning to say, mm, they, they just don't work as hard. You know, that's, that's why, you know, this community is being pushed back. And that's just not the truth. And so it, it really uh, enlightened me to, again, where I came from, to be appreciative of what I've had, but then on the other side of the coin to start to, to at least try to understand what other people have gone through. And if we can even make that attempt this generation, then the next generation will be able to pick up the ball farther down the road than it is today. Well said. And Jed, thank you so much for making all this time for us and, and folks who are tuning into our podcast. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this question. So for folks who haven't tuned in to Your Money Vehicle, there is a, a character who is, I believe, wearing a Jed Collins jersey. He's got a little, <laughs> southern, a little Southern lifestyle to him. Can you talk about this character? What maybe inspired this character? Because he's no doubt my favorite character in the entire Your Money Vehicle program. Uh, you know, that is based off. Um, so what's really neat about being in New Orleans, it's, you know, Louisiana is a sportsman's paradise. You you go duck hunting in the morning, fishing in the afternoon. Like this is what they do down there. And you you go down to these camps and I put you can't see the quotes, but I put camps in, in quotations um, and you take these boats out into the brackish out into, uh, you know, the water. And it's funny to me because the, the, the culture and the community, even isolated into these camps, is even more extreme than the, the people of New Orleans. And so that character was built off of uh, some guys I got to go fishing with. And I went two or three times with them. And I was just so entertained in their storytelling. And also in the idea that them out on a fan boat in the middle of the marsh was like you turning left on Main Street and you know driving down down the corner. This was just their neighborhood. This is where they lived. And if you've ever been around a fisherman, they are storytellers. And they could tell you every hole and every one that got away. And so yeah, I just we woke up and we said, "All right, we're going to talk about insurance today. How can we make this entertaining? How can we make this fun?" And that's where the characters started to just come out of like, hey, I don't know where or why, but let's give it a go. If it made me smile and it made, uh, you know, the people that helped me building it kind of chuckle, let's go for it. Um, and so, no, I appreciate that. And it, there, there may be some acting in my future. We'll see. But for now, that's about as far as I can get. I think, folks, <laughs> if, if you think this is just Jed, you know, wearing a, a button up polo and a tie, you know, lecturing to you in 10 sessions. No, it, he very actively works to make sure that this is engaging and entertaining as well as informational. And I appreciate that. And the last thing I will say, because the, the validation I got this morning from a student was sitting in a job application and being asked what the, what the certification was about. Well, what is this? And, the, and he said, he's like, man, as a first generation American, to get to look at uh, somebody who was running the HR and explain the proactive nature that I went and got something around this topic that they are concerned with. Financial stress, financial wellness is a topic and that certification is going to play well on a resume, is going to be a builder, as well as just a good story about how you invested in yourself. But Donnie, I, I cannot appreciate more 
the idea that we really made an effort to be the first entertaining course around money out there. And to this day, people are like, you know, well, have you seen that? I'm, yeah, I've seen that guy stand and, and use a whiteboard and, you know, try to explain something, but they, they haven't done what we did. I think maybe uh, uh, maybe for, for our next interview with you down the line, it's just an hour of uh, Jed telling stories about West Coast, Orange County kid goes to <laughs> Louisiana and fishing in the bayou for, for three years of his life. That could be... Well, that was the beauty. Again, turning a curse into a blessing, I got cut from 12 different teams, which means I got a tour of the United States and I got to see a lot of teams, coaches, but cultures and communities, as well as just the simple notion of going from uh, Orange County, California to Pullman, Washington, which Donnie and I were talking about earlier, is a pretty extreme discrepancy from the beaches of California to the middle of nowhere. Um, so yeah, there was, there's some culture going along in my education. My, uh, my final question to you then is based on what you just said, 12 different NFL teams in college and high school, who's your, your, your favorite teammate you've ever had and who is your favorite coach you've ever had and rest easy knowing that none of them will probably listen to this podcast. <laughs> you won't be hurting any feelings. Um, but, but I'm curious, you know, to, to go through that many coaching staffs and that many teams and, you know, from the Drew Breeses of the world to the long snappers, right. That, People don't even know their names. Who are yeah. your, who, who comes to mind? I mean, you mentioned long snapper. I got to mention uh, John Dorenboss, who was in Philadelphia and was not only a 15 year NFL snapper, but also a professional magician in Vegas in the off seasons. Uh, had one of the most tremendous stories ever. Google his name. I'm not going to, it's a, it's a tragedy that he turned into being his magic. Um, my, my favorite teammate, who became my best friend, one of my best friends to this day, uh, is Brian De La Puente. And he was a kid who grew up, you know, 20 minutes from me. We played against each other in, in high school, didn't know each other. He went to Berkeley. He was a walk-on at Berkeley, made it uh, to a starter, was an undrafted guy, ended up playing eight years. So I, he and I had a very similar journey and story. And we clicked, we connected mainly, be, not mainly, but our wives also became really good friends, which full disclosure, young man, that's always a good, uh, good up in the relationship piece. They actually had me as their officiant for, to marry them um, while we were down playing for the Saints. So definitely Brian was uh, my closest friend and favorite, but I, I would be remiss not to mention the, you know, like you meant, you, you said, uh, one of the stories I got to share a couple months back was about Jason Wright, who um, just took over as the Washington Football Club president. He, he's the president of the, the organization. And he was the kind of guy who my, my first week in Arizona, I met Jason in Cleveland. Again, I got to bounce around a lot. Met him in Cleveland, was in the running back room. Then I came to him in Arizona as he got traded. Uh, and he came up to me the first week in Arizona and gave me $200 cash and apologized because I, he didn't have an extra car for me to use, you know, as I got settled. And it's those men, those people in a locker room, those, those guys in your fraternity that do little things like that, that, that will stick with you for the rest of your life. Um, that, that is what football really gives us. Now, my favorite head coach is also a really interesting and longer than we have, but 
I, I really respected Jim Caldwell, who I was with in Detroit. He was the first one to to really look at the men in the room and try to invest in them. He had a weekly book report that I was listening. I can't tell you how many other guys were listening. Um, but he would tell, take a book he had read and give you the principles and the lessons he took away from it. Um, most notably, one of them that I, I read and enjoyed was Boys in the Boat. And it was about the Huskies, which, you know, I'm a cook, so that wasn't an easy read. Um, and then, you know, you look at, I got to play for Andy Reid, who's, you know, Super Bowl winning head coach, learned a ton from him. But Sean Payton, Sean Payton, I, I enjoyed because of his bravado, because he could stand, you know, he, he was a wizard uh, of, of the offensive system. But more than that, every guy in that room looked at him and, and trusted that when he made a decision, it was to win the game. It was to, to put the team in, in front and to go and get a Super Bowl. And that is the ultimate skill of a leader is to have your group look at you and trust that the decisions you're making are to better the group. And, you know, that's, that's one of the best things I, I got to take away. And I remember when he came back from the bounty gate year, he, uh, you know, he's, he was made some jokes about, you know, spending time in prison and, and going to the yard. He came back in a lot better shape. Um, but he said how much he missed the process, how much he missed, you know, the purpose he had and everything he did, you know, on Tuesdays, he missed knowing exactly what to do. And having that be kind of one of the takeaways from him was the beauty in the chaos, the, the ability to make a purpose and to build your systems and your processes around that purpose and to really just enjoy some of the, the tough times because once they're gone, you're going to miss them. Uh, I thought that was a really good mindset for him to come back with. Jed, we, uh, we can't thank you enough, man. This was uh, fantastic. Hopefully it was uh, an effective use of an hour on your end as well. Um, but we just, we love talking to you, love having the opportunity to sit down and chat about everything from the NFL to opening your first bank account and everything in between. So um, we'll have to do it again sometime. And uh, again, just thank you. Thank you from our listeners. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. This relationship is just getting started, That's fellas. Right. Appreciate the opportunity and could not be more excited to see that 200 number get eclipsed and to grow beyond. Absolutely. Thank you. And one last thank you to Jed for his time with us today. Uh, some fascinating stuff there. And uh, I think, again, we'll, we'll look to have him back. I'm sure he's got stories for days. As is usually the case, the guest interview is our final segment on the Teak Nation podcast. Any closing thoughts for our listeners? Hey, I love Jed's energy. And you know something else I was thinking, Al, is if if you want, if you're out there, if you're a big company, this, this has somehow gotten into your orbit. First of all, welcome. Second of all, if you want to sponsor these interviews we do every week, we could do, you know, today's guest sponsored by Nike. Today's guest sponsored by IBM. Well, let's welcome in, right? I mean, I, we watch all sorts of podcasts and other, other phenomenal television shows that are on the radio. And they have, they have, you know, brought to you by the Progressive Hotline or whatever it is. So something to think about. Geico, I know you're already a partner. Here's a way to get a deeper investment, possibly tie in some more folks into your insurance. We're, uh, 
Yeah, I think we're we're six weeks into this new format. Now's the time to monetize. I, I would agree with you. So yeah, Phil Knight, if you're out there listening, throw a few bucks our way. All we're going to do is take your dollars and reinvest them in our membership, man. All That's we're right. doing is making the world a better place here. That is right. Donnie and I, uh, we get we get no compensation for this podcast. We just do it out of the goodness of our hearts. Exactly. All right. Good episode. Well, I think it was a good episode, but I'm not the one that gets to decide. Looking forward to my my top shot explorations throughout the next week and, and reporting back next week on how that's going. We'll probably be in about the same place, which is can't get my hands on a pack. But um, until then, please subscribe, like, follow, download, listen, however you consume your podcast. Make sure that the Teak Nation podcast makes it into your weekly rotation. Uh, good use of an hour or so every week just to uh, entertain yourself. And also, you know, if you're not too careful, you might learn a thing or two. So please continue to, uh, to listen, to follow along, hit us up on Instagram. Uh, talked earlier about, uh, talked earlier about dropping your, your movie knowledge into the chat, into the comments. So looking forward to seeing if anything comes to fruition there. If it doesn't, we'll call everyone out next week, but um, please engage. You know, that's the way that we, we keep it going is listener comments, listener feedback, and just got to continue to, to build that audience. So tell a friend. That's all. We'll catch you guys next week. Have a good one. Ba-ba-ba-da-ba-da. <laughs>